This is the PKD Black Box, episode 12. This episode of the PKD Black Box is brought to you by MyDigitalComics.com. At MyDigitalComics.com, you can download digital versions of comics such as PKD Media Presents Volume 1, Mercury and the Murder, the Collected Edition, and Wasted Wonderland, along with an assortment of independent and up-and-coming publishers at reasonable prices. Your downloaded comics are non-DRM and transferable to any computer device you have handy. Look for more titles and publishers to arrive as time goes along. Prices start as low as 99 cents. That's MyDigitalComics.com. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy. Today's episode is the first of a two-parter as comic timing podcaster Ian Levenstein returns to the PKD Black Box to discuss, with, along with me, some of our favorite guilty pleasures in forms of media such as comic books and movies. But before we do that, I've got some things I want to talk to you about. want to say thanks once again to all the participants who have participated and dropped comments on the PKD forum board. Um, at the PKD forum board, you can uh, chime in on some of the episodes that we've dropped so far. You say what you like, say what you don't like. You know, we even have a thread where people are making suggestions for future PKD black box episodes. Once again, all you have to do, go to pkdmedia.com where you can read comics for free. And if you look up top, there's a section that says the PKD form. Click on that. That shoots you straight to our form board. It's really easy to sign up. Come on in, drop your opinion. I would more than appreciate it. And also, we got a couple more iTunes, um, iTunes comments, and I appreciate those as well. For everybody that's been listening, seriously, 12 episodes in, this has been one heck of a ride, and I love doing this. So I just want to say once again, thank you, and I appreciate you. I promised that I'd start talking about webcomics on this podcast, and this week I shine the spotlight on the webcomic Lackadaisy by Tracy J. Butler. It can be found at lackadaisycats.com. That's lackadaisy spelled L-A-C-K-A-D-A-I-S-Y cats.com. Lackadaisy is a webcomic about a set of characters that run Lackadaisy, a speakeasy in St. Louis during the era of prohibition in the late 1920s. It's a cross between a period piece, dark comedy, satire, and just all-out silliness. For those who don't know what a speakeasy is. A speakeasy is a place where alcoholic beverages are illegally sold during the period of prohibition in the United States. Now, here's the kicker about the comic itself. The kicker about this comic is that instead of using human characters, creator Tracy J. Butler decided to use anthropomorphic cats for his cast. He explains his reasons why on his FAQ section of his website. This is what he says. When dealing with sociopathic criminalism, and gratuitous violence. How could it not be cats? Don't take it too literally, though. It's mostly just a device I like to use for characterization. The mobile ears, tails, and big eyes help me emphasize gesture and expression more than I could with human characters. They allow me to be as ridiculous as I like, and, well, they're just plain fun to draw. Now, as far as the website goes, um, Tracy J. Butler has done a great job with not only how the comic is laid out, drawn and displayed but the lackadaisy cats website 
is just laid out nice and smooth. Um, it's beautiful. And in the Ishkabibble section of the uh, of the website, yeah, I said Ishkabibble. It's on there. Trust me. Um, in that area of the website, there's a glossary, a how to draw, how to paint, how to make a comic. There's a wallpaper section, FAQ links, all types of stuff. Very well put together site. And as far as the um, comic goes, going back to the comic, the introduction to the world of Lackadaisy, real easy to follow. It sets up the larger world of bootlegging, uh, the secret club scene during that period of time, you know, for this comic and the shady characters that inhibit it. The first story after the intro sold me on the rest of the series as uh, Rocky, one of the main characters who works for Mitzi May's Lackadaisy, uh, Speakeasy, gets himself into a ton of trouble. Check it. If you have a moment to look at, look at some beautiful art and some fun storytelling, you got to check out Lazy Cats. It's flat out dope. I'm for real. Peep it. <laughs> For those that listened to episode zero of the PKD Black Box, I gave the story of Super Mario Brothers history as told through the tweets of artist Julian Lytle. Julian Lytle is the not only the artist, but he's the force behind the hit webcomic Ants, ants.julianlytle.com, and that's Lytle spelled L-Y-T-L-E, uh, ants.julianlytle.com. But because of his linguistics and how he's just able to just describe things and just, you know, break stuff down for people, it's only fitting once again that I read you the tweets of Julian Lytle. And this time he's actually helping me out. I like TV, love TV, love movies, love all forms of media. But, you know, when creating comics and doing this podcast and everything else and, you know, my, my real job and my real life, you know, all that stuff, I don't get time to watch as much TV as I would like to. So thanks to Julian Lytle and the power of Twitter, I am now able to catch up on 24 and I would like to share his tweets of 24 with you, the listening public, as only Julian Lytle can tell it. So I need some music. I need some action music for this because this is about to get serious. The following tweets take place between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m., the first four hours of the latest season of 24. Where's my music? All right, there we go. All right, here we go. Yes, sir. 24 is on. Jack versus NYC. Jack chilling with the C, getting some sleep for once. Oh, Jack, don't you know you can't have the good life? All right, we got Jack yelling. Now we have Fred from Scooby-Doo at Starbucks. And NYC CTU looks so high-tech. Even the president is surprised Jack is back in season eight. The air president on 24 has jungle fever. Somehow a dirty mattress is good for dressing the wound. Hey, Victor. Hold that RPG, homeboy. Now time for the Jack and Fred team up. Daggone evil blonde women in TV shows. Ha <laughs> ha, Blondie got yoked up. The war on terror wins again. Man, Eric President number one homie is a turncoat. Bad form, dude. Fred and Starbuck is weird. It's like a 70s TV mashup. Man, Jack can't get salty at Chloe. All the BS she's done for him and the country? Jack needs to fall back. Wow, how did 24 end up being like high school? Jack almost got sent to detention. Oh yes, back at the Jack Bauer Power Hour times two, let's go. Fred and Starbuck trying to be smart. Never doubt solid Jack. Dumb young, dumb young buckers, 
better recognize Jack knows the G code. Stop snitching movement is defeated by cream. And for those who don't know, cream means cash rules everything around me. Oh my God, is that Herc? Just like Herc not to think. The Western go hard. A wire cop pwned Jack. Oh, I bet she wishes she had she wasn't the side chick now. About to get locked up for cheating. Ha <laughs> ha. Only on 24. Oh, Herc Carver ain't here to save you, man. Jack is gonna whoop that ass. Hold up. Isn't the main bad guy right now the little cop in the green mile scaring the magic negro? Well, he instantly hated by me. Man, world leaders need the US government to keep his side chick secret. Ha! Does NYC have that much bad cell reception? Damn, Jack. Go hard in this level initiated. Jack pwned Herc on seconds. That was crazy. Like Kirby Comics crazy. The video game drone nerd just called Fred dumb. Well, yeah, he never solved one case on Scooby-Doo. Things don't look well for the host from Slumdog Millionaire. I wonder if Fred has the mystery machine. I bet that can take a missile. My man Fred using that Scooby-Doo driving. Herc needs to fall back. Jack is adding members to his party like Final Fantasy. I guess this episode is brought to us by the numbers 6 and 7 and the phrase, I told you so, big dummy. Dang, Fred go hard. Man, little brother is whack. I hope he get the Jack Bauer chair meeting. Oh, dang, he tough. Hold that pen. Man, where is Shaggy and Scooby when you need them to randomly dress and drag? My man Jack come in like Batman. My man Hastings is really trying to pimp hard with that earpiece in. Jack used the Sprint 4G network. Hastings was looking at Chloe like he'll drop her at like a bad habit if she keep coming out of mouth like she is. Dang, the chief of staff is a bit too earnest, too hype. Fred saving lives. Mystery Inc. for life. All 24 is doing is confirming my personal credo of always having a healthy fear of Russians. I thought dude was going to blow up. I guess Renee couldn't take being the female Jack. Is Jack the Zen master of torture? The right wing pie man. Did Renee have track marks? She on the blue magic? Jack, you have more training, training to do. She's still green in the ways of the war on terror. Oh, Side chick did really think it was forever? Oh man, Fred is going undercover. Renee is going hard. Nukes can't stop Jack. Damn, Jack, you made a monster last season. She went all Frank Castle on dude. And that was the first four hours of season eight of 24, as told in the tweets of Julian Lytle. The following events took place between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. As he continues to go on his journey of 24, I will provide reports from time to time. Thank you, Julian. Once again, joined by comic podcaster extraordinaire, Ian Levenstein of the Comic Timing Podcast. Ian, how you doing, homie? Doing good, relaxing, and uh, to steal the drink roll call one more time, I'm uh, sipping on some uh, cherry Coke and Jameson right now, so I'm feeling good. But gl- glad to be here, sir. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you are here. This show is all about guilty pleasures. We all have those guilty pleasures in life, whether it be films, comics, music, what, what have you. We've all got them. 
And on this show, myself and Ian, we're going to share with you some of our guilty pleasures. So don't hold it against us when we, you know, spill the, spill the beans on some of the stuff that we like, because we know some of y'all like this shit, too. <laughs> Ian, I'm going to throw it over to you first. All right. I'll, I'll start off in the realm of television. And uh, this this is a guilty pleasure that is guilty because I think it was sort of the first sci-fi show that really got me into the genre. And this is, uh, you know, dating me back to about 1996. And I'll start it off with, what if you found a portal to a parallel universe? What if you could slide into a thousand different worlds where it's the same year and you're the same person, but everything else is different? And what if you can't find your way home? Sliders, man. Sliders is one of my guilty pleasures and has been since I started watching sci-fi back in the day because, I mean, it got so bad at the end and I could not stop watching. <laughs> uh, see, yeah, once they moved to sci-fi and they had a $2 budget per episode, I couldn't do it, man. Yeah, you, you know, you and a lot of other people because, I mean, like, I like how, like, they all of a sudden changed their hotel from uh, the Chancellor to the Chandler and, like, expected nobody to, to, to be able to tell and how they moved from, you know, L.A. to a the MGM Studios back lot and expected nobody to tell. Dude, you can tell. I mean, it, it, this is not a real city street we're working with here. I mean, come on. Then Mr. Uh, Jerry O'Connell had to bring his uh, brother Charlie on. <laughs> and, uh, hey, we need to save Wade. We need to save Wade. Wait, who's Wade? <laughs> <laughs> like, five episodes into the fourth season, they just stopped talking about Wade. And and yet, for some reason, I, I couldn't stop myself from watching. What's wrong with me, man? You have the hope that somehow they're going to be able to attain the budget they once had mm-hmm. so you can have the show back that you adored when it first started. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the funny thing is is that it had good ratings all the way throughout its run. I mean, ratings for, for cable, I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Because when it was on Fox, of course, after season three, they canceled it because they thought the ratings weren't good enough. Then again, it was on Fridays. So, I mean, that's the explanation right there. The only Friday show to ever succeed was X-Files and... That's about it. But the fact that it lasted three seasons on on Friday is amazing in, in and of itself. Yeah. But uh, when it when it made its way over to Sci-Fi, uh, and this was before Sci-Fi really got uh, you know Stargate SG One or, or anything like that, it was the highest rated show on Sci-Fi week in week out. It was it followed by Farscape week in week out. They canceled it after season five, and season five significantly better than season four. And there was no Jerry O'Connell to be seen or Charlie O'Connell to be seen. The only Original character left in season five was Rembrandt Brown, Cleavon Derricks, close to recapturing its old glory in season five. There were still some plenty of stinkers. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, go ahead. No O'Connell. No O'Connell. In season five. No O'Connell in season five. Yeah. Was Quinn, he, Ma- was Quinn Mallory, the main character. Yep. He was the main focus of the show. The reason that, uh, that they were unable to obtain him for season five is that he wanted producer credit. And I believe he wanted to direct a couple episodes and he wanted a major salary bonus. Sci-Fi Channel was unable to agree to those terms. So without Jerry O'Connell, there was no Charlie O'Connell. So there goes two members of the cast right there. So their solution was, okay, we have season five ready to go. So we're just going to bring back Cleavon Derricks. We're going to bring back Carrie Wurrer and her boobs. Let's bring on two new characters and and go with that. And their explanation for a sci-fi show I mean, sure, the science is a little wonky here, but this was actually a pretty good explanation. You ready for this? Talk to This me. is great. So they, they land on a world where immediately they're met by this, by this guy that they've never seen before who keeps calling himself Quinn Mallory, even though they've never actually seen him before. And it turns out that it's a fraternal double of Quinn that has a different mother than, than Quinn had. Same father, but different mother. 
and they still named him Quinn. There was enough DNA resemblance between the two where there were uh, th- this crazy scientist guy on their on their planet wound up merging Jerry O'Connell Quinn Mowry and this Quinn Mowry into the same person and he got no he was known as Mowry for the rest of the show. Hmm. And they 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 were they they were searching the uh the you know for a way to try to separate the two. And uh, Colin Charlie O'Connell's character was unstuck between the universes, meaning that he was unable to actually land anywhere. And that's how they explained him away. And they brought on a new scientist character to take to take the place. This uh, this black woman, uh, her name suddenly escapes me for some reason, but uh, she was the new scientist because this this fraternal Quinn Mallory was not actually a scientist. He was just a regular dude. Wow. So and that's that's how they explained it away. That fraternal double. They wound up merging the two, and uh, it was played by that dude from the U.S. version of Godzilla. Robert Floyd played Quinn, quote-unquote, Mallory, Mallory. You know, that that's uh, that's a lot of work. Th- oh, that, yeah. That's just a lot of work. <laughs> All your, pr- your principal cast is going, hey, bring the black dude back, and uh, you get the white chick, let's go. I, that's, uh, <laughs> wow. Well, most most importantly, uh, at, at least there was an episode in the fifth season where they were finally addressed the Wade situation, because Wade went missing in the fourth season. She wound up in a in a Cro-Mag breeding camp and wasn't mentioned again for about twelve episodes, sixteen episodes, twenty episodes after that. Until finally, they had an episode focused on her in the fifth season. Again, they 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 had some decent episodes in the fifth season without Jerry O'Connell. <laughs> that is insane, and you know that show had to be extra cheap once they got rid of O'Connell. Oh yeah. I mean, they, they they still managed to have a couple of you know a couple of good special effects episodes here and there. But uh, in fact, even in the fifth se- the fifth season, they even got permission from from Jerry O'Connell halfway through to use his image because there was one episode when they came dangerously close to separating the two Maoris, and uh, they were able to use a still image from season three of uh, of a struggling Jerry O'Connell <laughs> to make it look like you know he was actually being separated from him. But uh, that, that's that's the only Jerry O'Connell we see in the fifth season. This uh, film made its debut in 1982. I can't explain it well enough, so I'm going to have to use a website uh, that's run by Greg Bellin. It's called 406northlane.com. It's a blog that's pretty much about everything pop culture, a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of everything in between. But this explains how this is one of my favorite guilty pleasure films of all time, Megaforce. This is what what Greg Bellin says about the movie Megaforce. Pure brilliance (laughs) the story about a rapid deployment defense unit that is called into action whenever freedom is threatened how can you go wrong there throw in barry bostwick yes you know the mayor from uh, spin city oh yeah this is 1982 so this is a young thin barry bostwick with like big hair and like a blue headband wearing tight spandex outfits Throwing Barry Boswick and spandex, guns, explosions, flying motorcycles, and you quite possibly, and quite possibly, the worst green screen in the history of, well, green screen, and you've got <laughs> one great movie. Actually, it's complete crap, but that's the whole point of his, he had a guilty pleasure movie list, and that was the whole point of this list. He says, I remember seeing this one in the theater and playing Megaforce on my big wheel for weeks afterward. Believe it or not, there are actually some name actors in this movie, or at least people you'd recognize. The aforementioned Barry Boswick, Michael Beck, Edward Mulhare from Knight Rider. Whoa. And Henry Silva all make appearances, and the beautiful Persis Kambata is there for eye candy. 
I'll never argue that this is a good film nominated for three Razzies, but I'll tell everyone in my demographic that you need to experience this at least once. And it's the absolute truth. Dude, this is like the original version of, of the G.I. Joe live action movie, okay? <laughs> this movie makes no fucking sense, okay? Not at all. Nobody, yeah. nobody dies. There are explosions everywhere. These cool-ass vehicles. The whole, the whole reason kids wanted to see this movie back in 82, including myself, were for these kick-ass vehicles because Hot Wheels had a product tie-in. Mm-hmm. So you could buy Megaforce Hot Wheels toys. Coolest vehicles ever for back then. Nothing happens. There's a nothing. Big, there, no, there's a big battle at the end of the movie, but really, nothing. Nothing happens in this whole movie. The only thing there is, there are good guys, there are bad guys. They're they're in this desert area. Somebody's held captive, or somebody's not held captive. There's a border war. We don't know why. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie. Barry Boswick is on this motorcycle trying to, you know, fly, you know, trying to catch up with the other guys who are in this, like, you know, big um, supply plane or whatever, and they're trying to tell him to hurry up, and he's on the motorcycle, and mm-hmm. then the motorcycle, like, sprouts jet wings, and it takes off, and it takes off to try to catch up with the airplane that's taken off. Of the course cargo, it does. The, the cargo plane, dude, it is the worst green screen ever. <laughs> it is the worst green screen ever. And these people had to really be acting to act like, <laughs> they were all excited for this because, dude, the movie's fucking awful. But <laughs> I love this movie. I love it. I, I, dude, what, what, what do you love about it? I mean, is it just so damn cheesy that you it, can't stop watching it? Is, it? Dude, it is so cheesy. It's so corny. It's my G.I. Joe. It, it's, it's my G.I. <laughs> Joe for 19, from, you know, from, from 1982. It, I still it, haven't seen G.I. Joe, by the way. I need to because I've heard that it's a laugh out loud riot. Oh, you talking about the G.I. Joe movie, the live yeah. action? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That shit, yeah. Was, that shit was fun. <laughs> that shit was flat out fun. It's way better than TF2. All right. Way be- Look, here's the whole thing with the G.I. Joe movie. I'm about to go on a tangent because on this Uh-oh. show we do this all the time. Look out. Here's the thing about the G.I. Joe movie. Mm-hmm. Your inner 12-year-old will love it. But, okay. but your grown-ass man side will look at some parts and say, oh, this is some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but my inner 12-year-old, when that movie first started, and the first time you see Snake Eyes... Hop out of hop out of one of the Joe planes with sword in hand, ready to whoop somebody's ass. Like I've been waiting for this my entire life. <laughs> you know, and, and you know there are some things if you really want to nitpick, you can. And there is some really bad CGI. You spend 150 million 150 million dollars on this, and you tell me this is the best CGI you could find. It's wait, fun. Wait, wait, did, did they really spend 150 million on it? They spent 150 million dollars on that movie. It's, it's oh my god! It, it, hey, it made a lot of money. It made a lot Man. of money, especially overseas. That's why you're getting, you're getting a sequel with hopefully yep. a different director and better writers. That would be nice. Um, actually, the writers from Zombieland are writing the sequel. Oh, fun! So, and they're getting a new director too, supposedly. So, um, so Steven Summers won't be directing it. There are a lot of cool things about the Joe movie, especially the doppelganger fight. It's like it's like watching a cartoon. So it's just like you get, uh, you know, Snake Eyes versus Storm Shadow, Baroness versus Scarlet in the pit. That was cool. <laughs> I'm like, it's like being a kid again. And like I said before, there is some bullshit in the movie. Do not get over concerned with the um, with the power suit thing. That's like a mm-hmm. five minute thing. Okay. All right. That's like a five minute thing. Don't even don't even worry about that shit. All right. But um to me that was it was just a fun movie. But anyway, back to Megaforce. The reason why yes. I love Megaforce, the vehicles. Ooh. They had the coolest vehicles. Now granted, this is nineteen eighty two, Ian. Yes. <laughs> so cool vehicles. They had like a bunch of missiles, just a bunch of weapons. And it's literally, dude, explosions for fifteen minutes, nothing for ten. <laughs> explosions for twenty minutes, nothing for ten. <laughs> 
love scene for no reason because we have to have a love scene. And it's not really a love scene. It's just two people standing t- together and finally kissing. And explosions for 30 minutes. And then the big fin- the big finale battle. And Barry Boswick's character and Hen- Henry Silva, who's the bad guy. Dude, they have conversations in this movie like, well, you know, something could happen. I mean... <laughs> I, I, I mean, I am the bad guy after all, and I should kill you, but I'm not going to kill you. you know, it's they just they, they have fucking coffee talk. It's like reading, it's, it's like reading a fucking Bendis book. Oh, you went there. You had to go there. Oh man, <laughs> uh, dude, I'm, I'm fucking with you, man. I'm fucking with you. I'm fucking. I like disassembled, even if it did start off with coffee talk, dude. I, I, dude, I'm just fucking playing. Seriously, I know, I'm, serious. I know, I'm, I know. I'm just playing. But no, <laughs> yeah, dude, they'd like we'll sit and talk. For minutes at a time, I'm like, wait a minute, aren't you guys enemies? Mortal enemies at that? I, I will I will leave you on Megaforce with this one last thing, because Barry Boswick's character is Ace Hunter. That's his name. If Ace that Hunter. does not scream 80s bad action hero, <laughs> Ace Hunter. And he has a line that he says to Henry Silva before taking off and flying, you know, with his motor with his uh, motorcycle jet um, up to the cargo plane. He tells Henry Silva. I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> well, apparently the good guys never win in the 80s. I, I guess not. Have you ever seen the the unaired Jack Black pilot called Heat Vision and Jack? I've heard about it. I've never watched it though. You, you got to track it down, man. I think I think the entire thing's on YouTube. That that is to me the best parody of the '80s you're ever gonna get, and it has shit like that. It's right. it's it's brilliant. I mean, I mean, you know the you know the concept, right? He's an astronaut who flew too close to the sun and now knows everything, but only during the day. <laughs> So, so he can he can solve any 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 question any equation during the day, but the minute the sun goes down, he loses all of his intelligence. That is awful. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and the talking motorcycle is voiced by Owen Wilson. Okay, moving on. <laughs> moving well, on. Hey, that's a guilty pleasure in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, I say so. Okay, I'm going to flip it back to you. All right, I'm going to go movies this time. And, and this this is a movie that that goes pretty close to my heart in in, in one form or another. But <clears throat> I'm tired of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> snakes on a plane. I, you know, I, I don't I don't know I don't know what it is about snakes on a plane that's so goddamn appealing. I mean, it could just be because Samuel L. Jackson demanded they keep the name snakes on a plane, you know, and, and that's the whole reason it became an internet sensation is that when, when they saw the listing on, on his IMDB for snakes on a plane, they're like, what the hell? And then all the, all the memes started about, you know, I'm tired of these motherfucking snakes and these motherfucking plane. And, and you know, the, the, all these like, you know, warning, warning snake on plane and like doing a whole chart of it and everything. And, the fact that they rewrote that they actually rewrote script and reshot scenes so that they would add actually add into the freaking movie. I'm tired of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. That that just makes the whole experience for me. And oh. uh, that was the first movie. Technically, that was the first date I went on with my current with my current girlfriend to see snakes on a plane. Nice. <laughs> so so there's something wrong with me. What a way to initiate that relationship. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, well, don't, well, don't feel bad. I remember one of uh, my early first dates years. I mean, this is 
before I met my wife, but like when I was in like early stages of college, <laughs> one of my first date movies, I took a girl to go see uh, Blown Away with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and uh, one of the Bridges brothers mm -hmm. and Cuba Gooding Jr. You know, he was also in the film, but he had a small role. I'm like, yeah, why are we watching a movie about an IRA bomber? <laughs> why, this, who thought this was a good idea for a date movie? But I tell you what, the worst date movie, mm -hmm. worst date movie I've ever had to take a girl to, Cop and a Half. <laughs> but but go, going back to Snakes on a Plane, I mean, you can't go wrong. You've got Sam Jackson and Keenan Thompson in the same movie. Dude, there, you know? are, there are a lot of people in that movie. Yes, yes. Like, like I'm, 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 I'm going to the IMDb right now, and I mean... I mean, Sam Jackson, Juliana Margulies, okay? Mm -hmm. How the hell did he even afford Juliana Margulies? That's what I want to know. Hey, man, she wasn't working a lot during that period of time. I guess, I guess. Flex Alexander, Rachel Blanchard, Nathan Phillips, Keith Dallas. Mm. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, not, not that many big names in this, but I mean, a lot of character actors, a right. lot of people that you've seen everywhere. Yeah, because, yeah, it's going to be, when you watch that movie, when you watch that movie, it's like, oh, hey, it's that dude. Yeah. You you get a lot of that because see to this day I've only watched like the first fifteen minutes. Mm -hmm. I've, I've yet to watch that movie in its entirety, but I watched the first first fifteen minutes actually about a week ago. There's a scene in the airport with Flex because I guess he's I guess uh, Flex is a rapper in the yeah. movie, and uh, Keenan's one of his bodyguards. Yeah, this uh, little white kid wanted Flex to autograph, you know, get an autograph. So Flex autographs, gives the kid an autograph. It tells this little white kid, "Stay black." <laughs> And like Keenan and this other bodyguard just look at each other like, what is wrong with this motherfucker? And what? And I just I lost it. I was like, okay, we're done. <laughs> and I said, I'll watch the rest of this stuff later. Any Samuel L. Jackson movie is worth it just so you can hear him yell. Yes. I've got Jackie Brown sitting on sitting here from Netflix this very moment. I'm gonna watch it this weekend. Oh, there's some funny stuff in there. Oh yeah, but What's 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 also great about about uh, Snakes on a Plane is that the song that plays during the credits, and uh, there was a music video made for it, which appears on the DVD, which I got for free in a uh, in a Yankee Swap at work, because uh, because someone thought it would be funny to buy Snakes on a Plane as part of the Yankee Swap. Mm -hmm. I saw it and immediately. I'm like, dude, fuck it, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that was that was uh, one of these sad moments of my life. The song that plays during the credits, which is all about, you know, I mean, they might have changed a couple of lyrics uh, every now and then, but the song was already written and then wound up in this, and it was already about snakes oh, and wound up in the movie. Was it a song by Cobra Starship? Yes, that's where I first discovered Cobra Starship. Actually, was because of that. <laughs> and I mean, it, it's it, you know, it, it's one of those movies that you can't take anything seriously, but it's it's just fun to sit there and watch the insanity ensue. You know? Oh yeah, no it, question. Yeah, the song is called "Bring It," but it's but it's you know, subtitled "Snakes on a Plane." And go on YouTube when you're done and look for "Snakes on a Plane" censored because the way it plays on television is I'm tired of these mon monkey fighting snakes. On this Monday to Friday plane. No. Yes. No. Yes. No, that that's that's fucking awful. <laughs> that 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 hearing by guarantees. See, I'm glad I didn't watch because that was on regular television. When I was oh. watching it, it was on regular television. I'm glad I didn't. I'd have been pissed. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would have been pissed off. <laughs> this is what happens, Larry. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> See. I can't deal with that. Rent it on Netflix or something. Watch it. Watch the uncensored version or else you'll have to deal with that a lot. Okay. 
here's the whole thing with Snakes on the Plane. When people were trying to give that film cult status before it yeah. even came out, yeah. that was that movie's death knell. Oh, yeah. You can't give something cult status. It has to acquire that on its own, period. Definitely. Have you ever seen the movie Free Enterprise? Yes. That's a cult movie. It's a cult movie because only nerds will sit down and watch it because it's a nerd movie. But it's a great movie. And yeah. you'll never see Eric, Eric McCormick do something like that again. They still want to make Free Enterprise 2. Eric McCormick wants to make Free Enterprise 2. Really? Cool. It's, it's been in, in the works for about seven years now or something like that. I mean, they really want to get it done. It's just, uh, you know, schedules need to be worked out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hope it happens because I, I love the first one and I love to see a follow-up. See, I'm going to go back to this whole, you can't make something a cult movie. It has to come mm-hmm. out. It has to be a cult movie on its own. I don't know if you remember this, but before Snakes on a Plane came out, there mm-hmm. were books out about Snakes on a Plane being a cult phenomenon. Before it really? came out, I'm like, you can't assign something cult status. You can't give somebody a status or something a status they haven't earned. It was like mm-hmm. when the NBA, when uh, Grant Hill got drafted by the Detroit Pistons and David, and David Stern said, you know what, this kid's clean cut. I want him to be the next Jordan. I'm going to mm-hmm. put him in every fucking thing I can possibly find, and yeah. I'm going to make him the spokesperson for the NBA because that's what we need. And then his leg fell off. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but see, no. But when he first started in the NBA, he you know he's a heck of a ball player. But people called him soft, and like once you pissed him off, he was off the hook. But still, he wasn't the guy. He wasn't the guy that could take over a game. You know, you want somebody. You know, like like, like you know, you don't. I don't have to have the next Jordan. I just have to. Have, you know, I need to. I need to see the next great ball player. It doesn't have to be the next Jordan because there's only one Jordan. There's only one Julius Irving. There's only one Larry Bird. Mm-hmm. One Magic Johnson. You know, one LeBron James, they make their own names. You're and, absolutely right. And, and with movies, they make their own names. Although, here's a great little tidbit here, according to the Wikipedia, and you cannot make this shit up. Rotten Tomatoes has, has a has a 69% positive rating. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I'll end it at that. Okay, that's fine with me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to talk about a comic book for uh, for my uh, guilty pleasure. This book, it's a long-running book, but however, I'm just going to talk about a specific period of time uh, okay. for this book. The year was 1994. DC had just come out of the Zero Hour miniseries. And they were trying to streamline some things. They got rid of the JSA. They made them all old. Power Girl was pregnant somehow, and they were able to like amalgamate Hawkman, like 17 different Hawkmen into one Hawkman, and a lot of people were confused when that was all said and done. But out of that, after Zero Hour was done, we got a bunch of Zero issues. Because, you know, we you know we kind of restarted everything. We started fresh. And, it, you know, you had a Zero issue followed by the actual number for the actual book afterwards. Justice League of America, 1994, the, I, I like to call them the Zero Hour team. Okay. Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. Flash, Crimson Fox, the Algam- the Algamated Hawkman, Metamorpho, Nuclon, and Obsidian. The team everybody fucking hated. What the hell? <laughs> Justice League America. They, this team is, but check it, it was written by Gerard <clears throat> Jones. He went on to write this book for about 20 issues because the series ended on The Purge. And I want to say that after this series was done, because uh, this ended in 96, then mm-hmm. that's when we started to get the, the Morrison JLA run right. a- afterwards. But this 
Dude, nothing happened in this book. <laughs> now, the only thing that happened in this book is like something called the event called the baby hunt where somebody was at the Power Girl's baby and the purge. At the I didn't yeah. I didn't even know Power Girl was pregnant or ever had a baby because they never mention it. Well, it doesn't exist now. Okay. In Zero Hour, the, go read the very first issue of Zero, actually issue five or four of Zero Hour because they did the countdown backwards. Right. And she was pregnant in the first issue. Then she had the baby. And then there was this thing called the baby hunt. It was just really weird. I, I still to this day don't understand it, but I liked that team. I was the only person that liked hmm. that team. And I read all the issues. And I was like, you know what? It's going to get better. Never did. Never did. And I, you know, and to this day, I don't have all the, I don't have all the issues anymore. But I still have a few. I kind of want to just recollect it all again and see if it's actually <laughs> is worth my time. The last three issues were pretty decent, The Purge, but it's a guilty pleasure. Well, wasn't wasn't Crimson Fox the one that like no one knew exactly who he was? And no, Crimson Fox was a she. Oh, it was a she. Okay, then who am I thinking of? Who was on the team during the death of Superman? That, that everybody was wondering who the hell it was. Bloodwind. Bloodwind. There we go. Okay. That was my that was my homeboy because Bloodwind was actually they said it was a Martian Manhunter. And, yes. But there, but there was an actual real Bloodwind who showed uh-huh. up later. I fucking loved Bloodwind. That <laughs> so is they, so, a, that's another they, guilty pleasure right there. Bloodwind. <laughs> <laughs> so they pulled a Zorn. Basically, he started off as a uh, as oh no, I'm actually this, but there was a real one out there somewhere. Then Death of Superman. What year was Death of Superman? Death of Superman was ninety three. Three, I think. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, because that definitely was before. That definitely should have been before this. Um, you know, this Justice League team. Because oh, yeah. I, I remember when I first saw that because I was in and out of comics a lot during the '90s. But I mm-hmm. remember picking up an issue Justice League, and Justice League was um they were fighting Star this guy by the name of Starbreaker or something like that, and it was Soups, mm-hmm. Bloodwind, and a bunch of people on the cover like attack in attack mode or whatever. I was like, who is this brother on the front cover? This motherfucker is bad. <laughs> I didn't even know they had brothers on Justice League other than Black Lightning or Black Vulcan. <laughs> I got to read this. And they all got black in their name. Yeah, well, and, or no, they, but Bloodwind did not have black in his name. Black Bloodwind. See, stop it. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> and Death of Superman is 92, That's, my mistake. Okay, cool. Yeah. See, it was in Death of Superman that you found out who Bloodwind was. Like, well, Blue Beetle knew before he got knocked the fuck out by uh, Doomsday. Bloodwind is also a guilty pleasure. Okay, um, cool. And uh, that Justice League team. It's issues 93 through 113, starting um, plus a zero issue starting in October of 1994. Gee, I wonder when that's going to be traded. Never. Jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see here. I... I'm going back on the movie front, going to talk about a sports movie. It's really bad, but I love it. Uh-oh. Came out in 1991, <clears throat> stars Scott Bakula and Sinbad. Oh, no. Called Necessary Roughness. <laughs> back at the film stars Bakula and Sinbad <laughs> should tell you all you need to know. Match made in heaven, man. Yeah, you know, did Bakula leap into Sinbad's body? Is that how it started? No, no, no. Uh, See, uh, I, I, once again, I blame uh, Greg Bellin from 406northlane.com for reminding me of this movie because <laughs> I purposely pushed it out of my system because in 1991 I was uh, when this came. I think I was like 15. Loved this movie. Loved it. I thought it was the greatest sports movie ever. I watched <laughs> this movie again. I admit, I still like it, but I know it's bad. <laughs> 
let me run down what really goes on in this movie. Let me let me okay. run it down. There's this fictional college called Texas State. They're the uh, Texas State University. They're the fighting armadillos. <laughs> they just been hit with with allegations and stuff like that. So they're pretty much stripped of everything. So now they have to find a way to start over with just college kids off the street and put together a winning football team. Uh-huh. So they bring out uh, Hector Elizondo to be like this take no shit. I play it by the book. Super clean coach and Ray uh, Lagia or Lagia, I can never pronounce his last name correctly, as his um, assistant coach. And he's one of those old school football coaches that will make this work one way or the other. Now, this is where Scott Bakula comes in. Scott Bakula is like about 75 years old. <laughs> what? And uh, no, he's not. He's but he's 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 an old, you know, he's an older guy. OK. Yeah. And yeah. he was a great quarterback in high school. Uh-huh. And, you know, he, and he lives out on the farm or whatever. And every day uh-huh. while out on the farm, he goes out to the field and he just throws footballs. And he throws footballs, you know, because he's trying to reminisce about how it used to be. Well, coach uh, played by Hector Al- Elizondo. Uh-huh. Goes to get Scott Bakula. Tells him to come play football because, you know, they can't find anybody. So fuck it. Let me go get Scott Bakula, who sure. after, after probably one hit would probably just just would just just be crushed. But, <laughs> but hey, it worked for Florida State and, and Chris Wanky. So, hey, maybe it'll work for Scott Bakula and uh, Texas State. So Scott Bakula enters college and he rooms with he, I think he rooms with a Samoan, if uh, memory serves me right. Manu Manu. The Slender, <laughs> as uh, <laughs> Rob Schneider, who plays a uh, play-by-play commentator for the Texas State University. Oh no, no, yes. no, no! You, you did not just say Rob Schneider. Yeah, yeah, he's oh. in it for he's in it for like about 10, 15 minutes. Uh. Yeah, dude, this is before you know he became way before he became the animal and Deuce <laughs> Bigelow. And so then you know he also you end also meeting end up meeting Sinbad, who's like a defensive end. Kathy Ireland joins the team because they need a kicker. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy Ireland. Kathy Ireland. It's the cla- it, 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 it's that that movie that should have been made the year after Major League was made, but they waited uh-huh. too long. It, w- w- which is amusing because uh, eventually Scott Bakula winds up in a Major League movie. Yes. <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure, though. If it's on, I will watch it. I, I really will. And, and this was supposed to be a major vehicle for Scott Bakula and Sinbad. Oh, a major vehicle, yeah. That vehicle crashed into a guardrail. Yeah, it's bad, man. It's bad, <laughs> but it's it's honestly one of my guilty pleasures. I can't help but watch this movie. I can't. Well, there are so many competitors on the market now, if you will. So many people who have copied you or tried to do something different, yet they're not making it the same way you are. It's always the original first, the first served, I think. Just, just, just lay on it. Yeah. You want to talk sports movies? I'll bring up one. Okay. Pitcher's got a big butt. Oh, no, dude. Come on, man. <laughs> well, all right. I'm, I'm, bring, I'm bringing myself back to my youth here, okay? Because when I was a kid, this movie was the shit, okay? Because, you know, I was right around the same age as the kid in Rookie of the Year. And, you know, it starts off with that wonderful tale of the guy happens to land just right on his arm where it breaks perfectly and gives him the arm strength of Roger Clemens on steroids. (laughs) So, of course, the Chicago Cubs, since Sammy Sosa hadn't been around yet, they're like, wait a minute, we need somebody to make us look good. Hey, 12-year-old kid that can throw really good. Why don't you join the team? Mm -hmm. So he does, and he does amazing because he's got this rocket for our arm, which was later parodied on Pinky and the Brain, by the way, which which was pretty funny (laughs) because Brain joins the team (laughs) and is pitching with like one of those like auto throwers underneath his arm which was funny. Oh, I remember that episode. Yeah. 
that was, that was pretty fun. And of course, you know, everything's going great until eventually the Cubs wind up in the playoffs and or at least are about to wind up in the playoffs. And of course, the Yankees are their rivals because who else would be their rivals? Even though when this movie came out, the Yankees weren't good yet. Oh, it's just like a major league. Yeah, I know. Which you know what the hell out of me because the Yankees were shit back then. You know, I'm a Yankee fan. And I can admit it up until the year 1993, the Yankees were shit. And of course, this lovely 12 year old gets them into the playoffs until, oh, no, he lands wrong on his arm and it's back to the strength of a puny 12-year-old. Doesn't break the arm, of course, which is great for me because, you know, no, it just pops back into place, which means what? He had a dislocated arm this entire time? Is that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> So through trickery, they wind up using the missing ball trick and a couple of other things to get the last three outs of the game. And of course, yippee, yippee, Kaye, motherfucker, he winds up getting them into the playoffs. And of course, because he wasn't around, I'm sure they lost in the first round. So that was that. And the uh, Chicago Cubs still have not won a World Series. The end. You know what's even worse about that? What's up? Well, not only the fact that it's a bad movie, but I remember to this day, it's still stuck in my head in the trailer Daniel Stern actor Daniel Stern is one of the uh, players on the Cubs and he's mm-hmm. got this big piece of you know tobacco in his mouth and he's like holding his back <laughs> and he's waiting for the kid to pitch he's like give me the good stuff <laughs> and like the kid like throws it real fast and he can't hit the ball I remember all these highlights of all these professional players striking out including Barry Bonds yes and I'm like, wow, Bonds was real small back then. Yeah, yeah, I wonder why. No, I'll, tell hey. you, I'll tell you what's even more rough, though. The what's fact that? that after that movie was made, mm-hmm. Disney a couple years later said, hey, let's go get that kid that was in Rookie of the Year, put him back in a baseball uniform, and we'll send him back to King Arthur's time, and we'll make him a kid in King Arthur's court. Oh, God, that was him? Yeah, that was him. And this is Thomas Ian Nichols, okay, yes. who's actually appeared in things other than that over the years. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, was a, he was in Party of Five for nine episodes. He, dude, he was also in American Pie. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. But here's the thing. Disney said, you know, we like that kid from Rookie of the Year. People remember him if you put a baseball uniform on him. So put him in a baseball <laughs> uniform as if he's playing a little league game and, like, just suck him into a wormhole and put him in, put him in King Arthur's court. And then we'll put him back in the past. And then he can use pop culture and, 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 and snazzy, jazzy one-liners to, you know, make things in King Arthur's court hip. Mm-hmm. But what's mm-hmm. fucked up about that, not, not the fact that... I actually remember this bullshit. Kate Winslet's in this movie. Ooh. And Daniel Craig. Yeah? Yes. I'm not bullshitting (laughs) you. They're both in this movie. You you, want to know what's even sadder than that? What's that? 1998, a kid in in Aladdin's palace. You know what? I'm not listening to you right now. (laughs) I'm not even listening to you right now. I, I, you know, no, no, no. I, I don't believe anything you say. I don't believe that. I don't believe it. And the tagline was, the kid is back. No, I, I don't Ooh. believe a word you say. I'm not I'm not oh. checking the internets. I'm not going to oh. look. That's just bad. Oh, I'm sure it was straight to DVD, but still, that even for straight to DVD, that should not exist. No, no, that God. I, the, the fact that we were able to talk about a Thomas Ian Nichols film for more than five <laughs> minutes, that alone amazes me. Well, why don't we just talk about Agent, Angels of the Outfield next? You know, make, make, that, make everything complete. You know what, man? I thought we had a rule we would not bring up anything with Tony Danza in it on my show. (laughs) (laughs) What? what, 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 You don't like Cheers? Uh, uh, Tony Danza was not in Cheers. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Ted Danson because there's too many TDs in Hollywood, man. Who's who's the boss? Who's the boss, man? Who's the boss? No, no. If you're going to talk about some some Tony Danson, you can talk about Taxi. I'll give you Taxi and I'll give you the first couple seasons of Who's the Boss because I love Alyssa Milano. After that, we don't talk about Tony Danson on this show. All right, all right. <laughs> That's fine. I'm That's fucking the, with you. I'm what's fine. the first rule about Tony Danza? You don't talk about <laughs> Tony Danza. I can't believe I confused Tony Danza with Ted Danza. Wow, that Jameson must have been good. It must have. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our form, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, XO1 on the Rock Solid Steel Bots, Agents of Colt, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.